from New York City, the city of ambition, aspiration, and desire, this is Populax with Fomai Sirdari. Populax is the place where we bring attention to objects of personal luxury, objects of desire, objects that have shaped our experience. Through Populax, I hope to bring to you all the fun and profound ways my guests, accomplished creatives from across ages, cultures, and professions, relate to one object of desire at a time. Social media have fooled us into believing that it is easy to independently create the type of content that we have been admiring in the pages of Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. Can it really be done? Machu, a creative influencer who created his own blog, showcasing genderless and artful living, became an important Instagram influencer long before the concept of genderless fashion or fluid identity became mainstream terms. But the question is, how can one create such an impactful social media persona and powerful visual content without the Vogue closet? Who finances the outfits? How? It turns out that six years of creative expression, stunning photography, and art direction gave Matt a lot of opportunity for self-reflection, along with the pressure to decide for himself how he was going to use luxury to achieve his own transformation in life. Let's see which object he chose to speak to us about. I chose water as a symbol of flow. So I would say that it's more so a little bit more about the flow, but if I were to really think about what it means with going with the flow and being ever-changing and ever-evolving, I thought of water as like a most um, symbolic in terms of something that's observable to the eye, um, but really encapsulates like that inner wellness and that luxury that we really are seeking for in this day and age. You are a person who truly uh, personifies the uh, the concept of uh, of flow as a you launched a blog that became very, very successful, and you pursued that for a good almost six years, correct? Almost um, yeah, that's correct. you stopped, and uh, and and the blog itself was um, based on the idea of uh, genderless fashion, and in that sense, fluidity. So I'm assuming that the notion of fluidity is something that you have been pondering on and and working through your own creative expression for quite some time. What are some of the thought processes that you go through when uh, when you go uh, into uh, either photography or the posts that you had on your blog and your Instagram account? Are you are you aware that you're trying to achieve that sort of fluidity or is it more an intuitive process? Um, sure, that's an interesting question because I think um, it definitely encompasses both, both an intention to be fluid and also in the moment to be fluid. I think there's always with, especially this these days when, you know, 
more gender boundaries are being broken down. When I first started the blog, that was only starting to become somewhat more mainstream. So there was a lot of discomfort and you know, ambiguity that I had to embrace in terms of knowing that this was definitely not the norm. And I'm astraying from, let's say, what's socially acceptable. And so making the judgment and the intention to move forward to sort of a zone or territory that's a little more uncharted. And then when I'm creating the actual content, that's when the more creative flow of being open and being receptive and coming and letting um, the universe in terms of what the inspirations and creativity is guiding me towards. So whether that's, you know, putting together an outfit or just, you know, when, whether I have an outfit or outfitting and looking for inspiration, images, storyline, and how to tell a narrative, that's definitely where the creativity becomes much more natural. But as time went on, exploring the boundaries of that genderless fashion was also more intentional on an on ongoing intentional um, process of learning to keeping to push my boundaries. And then again, you know, back to the moment of creation, being fluid and being open to whatever inspiration comes to me. As I was preparing for the interview, I was going back through your blog posts and, and your Instagram account. And I left my phone on my desk on your page. And, and then I forgot that I had left it there. And then I, I returned to your page a few minutes later and and what struck me was the overall beauty and the aesthetics not of each one of the individual posts but rather the gallery itself as a whole so i think that is something that uh, i'm sure you worked on but it it's something that has stayed with me as as one of the successes of, of that initiative that you took at this particular time in your life, where you were also trying to figure out where that creativity or that creative channel takes you professionally. Thank you so much. Um, it was definitely an ongoing thing. And I think there is a lot of effort and a lot of thought and intention put behind it. But I think when sticking true to what really resonates with you and really in the moment feels right, that cohesiveness still pulls through as you were kind of talking through about the whole gallery aspect. Even if we think about it professionally, younger people today have this uh, final goal and intention to actually be Instagram influencers, whereas <laughs> for you, it has been a chapter. And let's say that either temporarily or permanently, you closed it behind you. What is that other driving force? I mean, I'm sure that some of your creativity finds itself expressions through your day job, right? You are mm -hmm. a buyer. Talk to us a little bit about the process of, of, of working with, um, with a merchant to being in a department store and, and actually deciding for the end consumer what life should look like. One big difference when, you know, for example, when I have a blog versus, you know, working as a merchant slash buyer is that, you know, with a blog, it's all about personal taste and what fits me and what I like and what I would want to share with the world. You know, when it comes to the buying world, as a merchant, you're looking, you're really looking at what would sell and what the end goal of the consumer will want. So always, you know, hindsighting data, you know, looking also forward in terms of where the market and where the trend is going, and then being able to have that gut reaction to what is something that we can push the customer to buy and that's still conservative or safe enough and but will still you know be something new and that's something that's something they feel like they don't have in their closet 
and also not be too boring, but also not be so bold and not just be affected by, let's say, personal judgment or personal taste so that, you know, you're getting really influenced personally versus keeping the end consumer in mind. So I think it's all about learning how to push the boundaries of the consumer a little, especially in the more fashion and luxury space, because that's what consumers are seeking for, for that emotional delight and perhaps that newness, but also in some cases, not pushing it so far that you alienate and really create a segregation, a barrier for the consumer where they don't really know how to digest and make understanding of what the product is that they're seeing in stores. Yeah, that requires, of course, objectivity, and it requires uh, analytical thinking as opposed to creative thinking, because the creativity comes in with that perhaps intuition that the market is moving in a certain direction, and you should be one of the first retailers to offer a particular type of product to the consumer. But once that has finished, what really matters is that analytical part of the job to really make sure that Everything is a win-win situation, basically, both for consumer and retailer. But I want to come back to you in terms of creativity and fluidity. You know, the, the idea of flow, which is something very philosophically deep and not easily understood by, by everybody, is also the work that, uh, or rather the idea that uh, drives the work of very important artists, some of whom I've spoken to you about in other circumstances, like, for example, Hiroshi Sugimoto, who is a photographer that I very much admire and uh, who also seeks fluidity and talks about flow and makes works about flow. So I wonder if this ability you have to dissociate yourself from the tactility of objects and fashion and luxury, could it perhaps come from your Asian upbringing? No, I I definitely think there's an element of that. So I grew up, my parents became Buddhists when I was, I would say middle school, high school. So I think there's some um, seeds planted in me in terms of the Eastern Buddhist philosophy. And one thing that a lot of philosophers or even psychologists or spiritual healers, when one thing they do talk about a lot is that even sometimes getting exposure or the knowledge already starts you getting thinking, and it always comes back in some form or the other. So I think that was definitely one way to kind of look at it in terms of that's probably where this process or idea of flow and going with the flow kind of started. Interesting enough, like I think for me personally, it actually was a very interesting departure, actually transition from my blog itself. From a perspective of, you know, blogging, there's a lot of content that needs to be turned out for the consumer because there's just so much content out there. So they're always kind of expecting more. And, you know, they kind of the same thing with fashion itself, where there's always newness or always some sort of delight that customers are looking for. I was kind of going down the rabbit hole of always creating new content, new outfits, clothes that people have never seen and obviously kind of spiraled into, let's just say a shopping problem to say the least. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I was, you know, at age 25, I was, you know, coming from a very privileged perspective, already wearing some of the best of what's offered in the market, you know, even if it's secondhand, you know, the Chanel's, et cetera, all the more higher end items and kind of came to a culmination of point where it didn't feel like I was like, what am I doing? There's so much excess, there's so much materiality in this world, and there's just never going to be an end to it until I really find a way to put a stop to it. And I knew that it was a problem. And so 
you know, in terms of the fashion and, you know, there was a lot of flow in terms of creativity, in terms of creating the content, but not necessarily the flow in terms of where my true essence and self was coming from. And so fashion really represented me a lot of my ego in terms of my attachment to the idea of who I was through the materiality and the excessiveness of luxury and through fashion and excessive and abundance of clothes, kind of experienced my own ego death and therefore was able to really re-examine and really have a perspective shift of how I viewed life. And so went from this understanding of goods and perhaps even services or things that are tangible was, was the epitome of luxury um, to really understanding that, for example, flow or being in the moment, being present was something that was much more of a luxury than being able to acquire or being able to experience something per se. Well, that is a very mature view of the world, perhaps maybe because you were thrown in, into it in, with such intensity, uh, you were able to also dissociate yourself from the materiality. And still, at this point, you must have an enormous closet. Is that so? Um, yes, um, I think <laughs> your point was definitely very true, because I think it was almost like, a you know, when an average consumer might be like, oh, let me buy this thing because I like it and kind of maybe buy one item per season or two or three per season. I was definitely accelerating my own process of, you know, my own ego death and to this day and still cleaning up as to your point. I've sold over a hundred items in 2021 and there's still more work to be done to this day. <laughs> this is amazing. You have the benefit of, uh, the new trend in the market with uh, pre-owned items being desirable and younger consumers being willing to wear secondhand luxury, something that would not happen five years ago. So in a way, you're lucky to, to have decided to get to that point when you decided to stop working on your blog. Are there specific items that you're going to keep no matter what? I do think so, yes. I think they're when it comes to content creation, it's always about the performance or like the, you know, the drama factor and how much you're able to that say garner engagement, et cetera, likes all of those things that people deem as, you know, the social currency of the current day. But that said, and so there are items, I, I would categorize three, three buckets of things that I own. So one bucket is the true fundamentals that are kind of boring, but things I do wear every day. And then on the other spectrum, there was the theatrical, very emotional pieces, things I'm just so, I was so invested in and have meant so much on the emotional level. And then there were pieces that were the make good or like the supposedly best of both worlds, but actually end up accomplishing nothing. Like I thought when I bought those pieces that, oh, they could be good for a shoot, but I could also wear them in my day to day. But those pieces tend to be the pieces that I sold the most just because they neither fulfilled that emotional connection with a piece of material, nor do they really meet the functional need of getting functionally day by day and having being more realistic in terms of, you know, fabric content or like care. So I think those are the things I've been getting rid of, but I have been still, I still do have a couple of things where they're very extravagant, very special that I am probably going to keep on to just even just as, you know, things that are nice to look at and things that when I look at still derive a lot of joy looking at them and they're more on display versus things that I thought were attached to me or were part of my identity in that way. Often with fashion, we make the mistake of seeing it as a purely utilitarian 
type of product when in fact it is much more than that. It is expression, it is theater, it is identity. And I see no problem at all with collecting pieces that become part of your home decor. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the designer probably did not design a pair of shoes or, or a top to be displayed this way at someone's home, but I think there is value in it. And, and in fact, it is the design of the product and its materiality that counts the most. And so it doesn't matter if it's not worn on the body any longer. Exactly. And I think sometimes, you know, especially when it comes to runway fashion, a lot of things weren't really meant to be created to be a functional piece. Like no one's really going to be wearing the extra large, roughly oversized gown, you know, to, you know, on the everyday to run to the bodega. Nothing wrong with that. I think there are people (laughs) who would very much enjoy doing that. But sometimes there are things also that are meant for a display in the sense of exemplifying, you know, craftsmanship or exemplifying how wild the mind can go. And so kind of to your point, like I was even considering there was this Marnie drape skirt that I've had that I bought out of a very emotional piece that I bought, but never really got to wear it, but was even actually, it was draped very well and almost even consider deconstructing it and perhaps layering onto a canvas to create a new artwork. So I think kind of goes to show that in terms of creativity, when it's there and when there's intention behind the creativity, that the reins to do whatever you want with it becomes much more open-ended versus it having to be a garment, something that's meant for just close to the body in that way. Absolutely. And uh, I'm curious, do you have a type of material or perhaps textile that makes you feel good? Um, Yeah, I would say that in my current state, I do gravitate. I'm a, I'm much more minimal now in terms of the things that I wear. A lot of the things that I own are, are very soft on the hand. So anything that has a lot of friction, like corduroy velvet or, you know, anything that's super textured, I find a hard time wearing comfortably. But things like cashmere, silks, or even some like more hand or like artificial materials that are just, you know, smoother and more comfortable in the skin, especially because of eczema or just pieces that I naturally gravitate towards now. So in the end, uh, even something very abstract as the idea of fluidity, I think can come down to a few very concrete ways of expression because you just mentioned comfort. And I think everybody is coming out of the last two years pursuing more comfort in their life, be it on how we relate to technology or how we relate to the professional uniforms that we had to wear all the way up to 2020. And I find this a fascinating moment where we're all pivoting in something more natural, but it doesn't have to be more natural. It has to be what is more comfortable for each individual. Right, exactly. I think, you know, Kind of back to your point about the flow and kind of how that relates to materiality, I would say that a lot of what I'm looking at in terms of clothing, like I, I wouldn't say I'm like not interested in, you know, the luxury or fashion space anymore. But when I'm what I'm looking for are pieces that I can feel very comfortable and don't feel exaggerated in and something that I can wear every day and can foresee myself wearing for a very long time. And it's kind of very so I think I kind of what what manifests outside in an external way, and in this case, more of a material way, is also a reflection of what where my mind has been. And I think that kind of, 
I think that's when, when we talk about mind and body, they kind of always go together because there's always the push and pull. And I think in this case, the materiality of things are just really a reflection of, you know, where my mind wants to be and how the body can kind of feel that level of comfort and peace to kind of feed into the, the more spiritual realm. Absolutely. And speaking about the mind, what is your mind asking you to do next creatively? Is there anything in the works that you can tell us about? Um, in terms of creative, I think because of my detachment from my former self, I've definitely transformed a lot in terms of how I have viewed myself. And because a lot of what I viewed myself through in the past was, you know, Matthew is a creative, visual, fluid person. And that was kind of the narrative I was sticking to. And, you know, these days when it comes to idea of self, I try not to be overly fixated or overly attached to any sort of defining factor of what it makes it means to be me. Towards the end of my blog or towards that end of that era, I have noticed that communication, especially when it comes to, you know, delivering speech or when it comes to writing has been a very strong forte of mine. And not necessarily in terms of like the more traditional view of creativity of creative writing or even just photography or styling or those things that you used to do, but more being clever with words or being able to deliver a message clearly. I think those are things that I find myself in a more quote unquote creative space. So nothing set for now, but there are definitely some plans, perhaps more along the lines of mindfulness and spirituality in a form of a YouTube channel. No, nothing concrete, but that was perhaps more of where the direction I'll be taking. I'll tell you, I cannot wait to see what you do next. And uh, <laughs> and to thank you again for, for giving me your time and talking to us about both materiality in the end, but also the abstraction of fluidity and uh, transformation in life. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you so much. Hmm. Could luxury be a vehicle to mindfulness and spirituality? May I leave you with this question for this week? Send me an email at populaxpod at gmail.com if you think that your personal relationship to one of your most prized possessions is also something that keeps you grounded. And also, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and also rate it. You're helping others who like that type of content to discover it. From New York City, the city of ambition, aspiration, and desire, this is Populax with Thomae Serdari. Populax is the place where we bring attention to objects of personal luxury, objects of desire, objects that have shaped our experience. Populax is a series of stories of desire recounted around one object at a time.